0: You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shimaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local
1: church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. Here we are. Back again for our 25th episode.
0: Our silver anniversary. It finally came. I got a... uh, a little pendant for you. I'll give it to you after we record. Oh, it's real nice of you. Jim. For your Pandora bracelet, <laughs> a little charm. Yeah, a little twenty-five, 25 a little microphone charm. Twenty-five quarter of a century of podcasting together. I wonder
1: how many people are out
0: there who have listened to all twenty-five episodes. If you have, leave a comment on iTunes. Send us a tweet at Pastoral Calling, or an email. I think the SoundCloud has like comments too. You can or throw leave those on there. comment on SoundCloud. Let us know that you've been there for all twenty-five. We will pick one, and we'll send them a. I'm making this up as I go. We'll send assigned,
1: them a signed headshot of me and you. That's just what
0: everyone. <laughs> we'll take wants. a headshot. Natalie has one of those instack cameras. We'll take a headshot. We'll sign it, and we'll send it to one of you through the mail who has okay. listened to all twenty-five let
1: us know and we'll draw all from all three of the names out our of the app. first ever competition it's good it's a good to have a competition 25th anniversary <laughs> see the thing about
0: the pastoral calling podcast is we have no idea what we're going to say until we start saying it that contest was literally thought of as we were saying it it's going to be great some people ask about our process and it's <laughs> like you're witnessing it right now here it is real time all right so that's for real though if you've listened to all 25 or if you haven't, go back and listen to All 25. First person to listen to All 25 <laughs> and let us know.
1: Binge them. Binge them. Anyways, how have you been, Matt? Doing well. Yeah, Good. the semester started back up again in Grace. and We so, had a massive snowstorm over the weekend. That was big. But no church cancellations. I think everyone got um, kind of a little gun shy from cancellations the previous week. So there there are a lot of cancellations for ice and snow, and then some like no cancellation, but we didn't really need it last week. Right. And so this week where it might have been more appropriate Correct. to cancel, people weren't really willing Correct. to take I the I was risk. driving to church in the morning,
0: and I thought to myself, these roads are very bad, and they continued to be very bad all the way there. But nobody was canceling, and here in West Michigan, if you're here in West Michigan and you're a churchgoer, here's a little tip. Nobody cancels churches until somebody cancels, and then everybody cancels. There's like a tipping point, especially if Calvary Nondanam is gone, it's over. Nobody is having church in West Michigan. they are they're like the mothership, the mothership. Yeah,
1: are you guys in Ottawa County? Technically, we're just across the border. So it's because we live in Kent County, and I have to always check the cancellations in Ottawa County. Yeah. So when you're, I don't know, you're probably not responsible for making that call. I am. As the pastor,
0: that's up to you. That's how we roll at Celebration. I'll text Brian instead and say, hey, should we do this? And he'll say, what do you think?
1: <laughs> so That's yes. a heavy burden. It is. The pastor. It is. So at, at our church, it's the, it's kind of the president of the council that's my role to make that call in, con- uh, in conversation but it's yeah, my call yeah, yeah and so the pressure is never on the pastors to make the decision that's a good one i told everybody as uh, when i got up to
0: to welcome everybody in church yesterday that the fact that they all showed up yesterday means that we're never going to cancel church again because if they could make it in that whether those roads they can make it in anything
1: my practice is becoming even though you always look at the other churches to see who's canceling i'm leaning toward only if the police say yes don't leave your house
0: yeah stay off the roads yeah and and i think that there's something philosophical about that like i am more and more and more beginning to appreciate the power of just the weekly gathering and the The normalcy of just starting our weeks together and without any sort of profound sermon or music or whatever, but just the art and the act of gathering together and how significant that is for Christian life and development and identity, right? Of like, here I am with my people. We talked about that on our last episode. Yeah, these are my people. Yeah. So, unless unless Bill Steffens himself says, Thou shalt stay home. Bill Steffens is our local weatherman. Uh, we're doing it. We should have him on the podcast. <laughs> he would do it. He might. He would do it. That would be awesome. All right. Man. That's a goal for us next week. Matt, what uh, what sort of books you've been
1: reading lately? So you just mentioned gathering together and the importance of that. And we talked about that in the last episode. Well, just in the past week, I was sent a book by my friend Kevin Krause, who lives in Australia. And Good day, <laughs> mate. We won't do that
0: again. You can't help. He comes, <laughs>
1: you know, we, we talk about Kevin uh, frequently on the podcast. He and I are good friends and we connect every two weeks uh, through a virtual meeting on the weekends where it's uh, 11 p.m. here and two in the afternoon there and we're able to talk for an hour and um, a couple of years ago I asked him to come alongside me and kind of mentor me through this stage of life with yeah. um, career and with... Uh, young children, kind of becoming teenagers, and just was looking for someone to be able to talk to about all of those life things, which yeah. I think would be also a good episode in the future. But he sent me a book uh, out of the blue uh, by a friend of his, and it's called Scattering Church, Effective Mission in the Post-Institutional World, by Matthew C. Clark, who is also an Australian. Clark with an E. Clark with an E. Uh, he and his wife have a, a number of different ministries. He's, he's done different things with church ministry uh, and parachurch ministry. And so now he's moving toward this post-institutional model of doing church. So what does that mean? Everything that we've talked about in the previous episode about the importance of gathering and the consistency of it and the rhythm of it and how that builds people up. All of that is great and important for shepherding that congregation and the pastor's role there. But it doesn't, by itself, the gathering doesn't do the gospel work of scattering. Hmm. And so that's the theme of the book, Scattering Church, is how do we go out from the church and then be gospel-oriented people in our work or in our communities? Yeah. Or is it possible to to have Christian community or faith community apart from that what we think of as that regular Sunday morning gathering with worship and scripture. So when he
0: says doing ministry or missional work in a post-institutional world, he's essentially saying a world where people don't go to church.
1: Right. Yeah. And never would. Yeah. So this increasing cultural phenomenon of people who have spirituality and religious interest, they want to ask those questions that are important to all of us as humans And they desperately want connection and community, but they wouldn't go to the institutional church to find it. Essentially, I was just poking in on
0: NPR. I don't know if it was Fresh Air or something over the weekend. They were talking about how they're in the middle of a series on non-religious spirituality. Right. Which I found to be a very interesting term and a very apt term to kind of identify that sort of thing. Like this longing and desire and like affirmation of the spiritual, but without wanting to be locked in. Right. It's very postmodern, right? For sure. What you want, but without the, the
1: boundaries. For sure. And, and that's why it's, it's interesting to me that this is coming from my friend, Kevin in Australia, who, as some of you might know, did non-traditional mission work there, had a a business, had a a coffee shop cafe uh, and, one and kind of a, a gathering of a yeah. faith community connected yeah. with the cafe, but, um, not necessarily an institutional church yeah. with membership or one pastor or anything like that. And so it's fascinating talking to him and then his friend, who's the author of this book, knowing that as far as where is the church in relationship to culture, Australia tends to be about 15 to 20 years ahead of the United States yeah. in terms of, some of those cultural factors of people moving away from church. Yeah, I always find that to be interesting that you look at
0: Australia as kind of a picture of where we are headed as the American church. And uh, important to kind of take note of that.
1: It is. And there's there's differences in that the Australian church is tied to yeah. uh, the Episcopal Church, yeah. Church of England, and, um, and some of the very... Uh, rigid institutional structures of that history, but, but also, um, very open to mean like Hillsong is in Australia. And so very evangelical, very worship, very church growth minded Mm -hmm. kind of church practice, but also very institutional. But I think more so just looking to how,
0: like how culture, the non-church culture, what their posture towards the church is, I think gives us a kind of
1: yeah, it is, it is sort of like peeking window. into the future of what yeah. things might be like. So yeah. I'm about halfway through the book, and um, I'm excited to see where it goes uh, from there. He's going to give models and yeah. examples of how Christians in Australia are doing this post-institutional non-church, but still faith and mm-hmm. gospel-oriented practice of their faith. Scattering church. Matthew C. Clarke with an E. Put it on the list, huh? Yeah, recommend. It's pretty new, yeah. So check it out. Cool. What about you? What are you reading? I got two books that
0: I'm working through right now. I've been uh, tiptoeing my way through the new James K. Smith book, uh, on the road with Saint Augustine. It's a steep climb. It is. My friend Mason, uh, who will be on the pod at some point, I'm sure. Uh, it's a big James K. Smith fan, and and highly recommended this book to me. And it it's good. It's deep, though. So Smith. Uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with him, but if you're not, he's a philosopher, theologian, and writes like a philosopher, theologian. And so there's a lot of historical theology going on here. And I personally have not done a lot of work with Augustine or Church Fathers or anything. And so that in itself is kind of, uh, it's it's helpful to kind of have him work through that, through the lens of really the Kind of the same stuff, kind of the postmodern spiritual journey that a lot of people are are on. This longing that we have to be something or do something or experience something that we're not experiencing the present moment. And uh, he uses Jack Kerouac's On the Road, right, mm-hmm. as this kind of metaphor of this longing to go, and we will we feel like we'll find our answers on the road when we move, when we go. But uh, so far, and I'm only about a third of the way into it, he's kind of bringing us back to the idea that leaving and fleeing and going on the road isn't going to solve your problems, right? The, The longings that you have are based on something that is deeply embedded in who you are. Fleeing from them is is not going to solve it in some ways it might exasperate it, and so it sounds like without knowing a whole lot even about augustine that that's kind of was his story of going and then eventually coming back and kind of finding his identity, his role his 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 spirituality kind of back where he started. After going to going to Rome and going to Milan, and the thing he was longing for that he was sure that he was going to get when he got there wasn't there. You're more of an Augustine guy than I And then, and I then
1: am. what do you do when you have that longing and you yeah. think you're going to find it either on the journey or in these all these destinations that we think we're going to find that meaning or that purpose, and you get there and it's not what you expected to be, and you find yourself still with that longing. Yeah. And so I'm only about a third of the way yeah. through that book too. Uh, Augustine has this beautiful image of being on a journey yeah. and longing to get to your home country. So you are on the road, yeah. but there's this longing that will only be satisfied by home. Mm. And so in this, in this culture, the times in which we live, people are very mobile and they change jobs and they change towns. And we're always moving around and, and you know technology helps with that. But we have a sense of never really settling in and never yeah. really finding home. And so I'm, I'm interested to see how he lands that book. This is like we're doing an yeah. episode about the <laughs> books we're reading but haven't finished. Yeah. So we'll have to follow up and say, did you ever finish that book? Yeah. The other
0: book I'm reading, uh, I, some interesting parallels, I guess, is a uh, biography on Marco Pantani, who is an Italian cyclist uh, in the, the 90s and early 2000s. It's very niche. Very niche. Yeah. I, I like biographies. I enjoy sport biographies and I enjoy biographies about flawed heroes, you know, so I loved the Steve Jobs, Isaacson was just brilliant. I love books on Churchill, same thing, this kind of like flawed hero. Both not famous athletes. (laughs) Both not yet. So there's, it's like a two of the, two out of three, pick two out of three and you're a winner. But here's Marco Pontani, who uh, was for a time period was one of the elite climbers in cycling in, in the 90s, but he has this kind of aversion to uh, the sports media and the public eye and uh, a a bad self image with even like how he looked he was balding and had big ears and stuff and all of that stuff kind of fueled him but he found there's this this line where he talks about somebody asked him why why are you such a good climber right because that's what his specialist specialty was and he says when i'm climbing a mountain i hate the feeling so much that i want it to end quickly so i go as fast as i can to make the thing end. and it's this like weird combination of like this thing you're excellent at, you're excellent at it because of your loathing of it. And it's, it's very interesting. Eventually, Pantani dies of cocaine overdose and that's kind of the, really where the flaw comes out. But, uh, I'm working through that book too right now. And that's kind of my, my leisure read on the, on the nights and weekends. No happy ending on that one. Well, we know where it's going. So, Okay. and he does, he's, uh, I think the last, at least the last Italian to win both the, Giro d'Italia, which is like mm-hmm. the Italian Tour de France and the Tour de France in the same year. So, wow. anyways, follow up on that one later too. Awesome. Right. Most people will probably not make it too far <laughs> past the Wikipedia search. <laughs> <surge. laughs> but go for it. Probably the good, Pirate is what he's named. Good Wikipedia article. Yeah, yeah. But that, I think one of the things that ties, I guess, all of this stuff together is how much our personality and who we are is like the primary engine in our lives. And for some, for some of us, I think for all of us to some degree, it's an engine that prevents us from, like, where we're, we don't understand who we are. We're fighting against who we are. And uh, sometimes that motivates us in positive or negative ways. But for others, there's an experience of... Know thyself, right? Knowing who you are, or you know, like even Augustine, like getting to that point where he recognizes, "This is home," you know, "This is the end of my journey," and that radically shapes shapes his life. I think that's an important thing for us to think about, even as pastors, leaders, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's, we've all heard the phrase, "I'm my own worst enemy." Yeah. Oftentimes, so you're definitely right that 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 seed of our own destruction is often in us and in the personality traits that come out, um, especially when we're under stress or when pressure is applied. And pastoral ministry is going to be like we talked last time of, of different seasons of the amount and the kind of pressure that you're under. But that really, that pressure will be like a forge that draws out of you. Where are you in that, in that personality? And if those negative traits are there, if they haven't been dealt with, Um, You could use the language of sanctification. Yeah. Um, If we're not more like Christ, if we haven't become more like Mm -hmm. him, still uniquely who we are. Yeah. But some of that, that sin or some of that selfishness comes out in ways that can be very destructive to our ministry or to the people that we want to connect with, that we want to serve and work with. At the same time, like god has created each of us and gifted us uniquely and yeah. so some of those things yeah. that are kind of hardwired in to who we are comes from childhood and childhood experience and uh, all of our our normals growing up but like we are who we are because of our personalities too yeah. and so we we express that and hopefully spirit-led ways that are healthy and build yeah. community and i've I found that a mindfulness or an awareness of that is really helpful for me but also for um, as as pastors and the people that I serve come to deeper awareness of that yeah they find themselves flourishing yeah and I think this has been something that uh, I think
0: everyone kind of observes that over the last 10-15 years the kind of mental health stigma of you know this sort of thing is all Freudian and evil and bad, has kind of started to, to crumble a little bit. And especially within the church and within pastors, we're beginning to recognize that it's okay to kind of do some of that self-introspective work. And the good pastor isn't the just simply the one who just pushes forward and pushes on and and doesn't allow the weights of the world to uh, strangle the root or whatever mixed metaphor, you know what I'm talking about? But like this idea of good pastors, just do it and just kind of move forward. And you're not called to who you are is secondary to, to this thing that you're called to. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to understand that there, like, you can't do that, right? You can't escape who you are. you You can, but there's a cost. Yeah. And eventually well but i think like what you said you can when things are going fine but when you hit those pressure points like a good tree will show its fruit no matter what like that's just going to come out eventually and, yeah come out
1: yeah yeah and there's and there's sort of i think caricatures of of pastoral ministry or of leadership that come from culture and i think of you know like the 1980s high powered, you know, even <laughs> Donald Trump level business per- yeah. person, where what the image of success that's pictured is someone in a suit and a tie, yeah. someone who has that take charge yeah. initiative, sort of pounding uh, an agenda forward and yeah. moving forward, whether that's with programs or ministries or building projects yeah. or numerical growth or whatever that looks like. But it's a very Business-driven mindset yeah. and growth mindset, uh, and then there's other, you know, pastoral models that we've talked about a lot here, like the Eugene Peterson model. That's much more contemplative spirituality, yeah. uh, much more nurturing, yeah. and much more um, not necessarily self self-focused, but self-aware mm-hmm. in in who am I and what is this congregation and how do I uniquely meet their needs, which are unique as a congregation. I think, you know, in our conversations, we've definitely drifted toward the latter, toward that Eugene Peterson model, but it's also important to recognize every pastor is different. Yeah. And what works for one might not work for another based on situatedness, your church, or your personality. Yeah, so
0: something that was Kind of really helpful for me about 10 years ago or so now at this point I as I was kind of just working my way into past pastoral work and who I was and I'm looking around at the landscape and the loudest voices at the time that I often heard at least you know coming from the Christian publishing industry was someone like an Andy Stanley right who in many ways and and maybe we we don't want to come across as like the anti anti-Sanley people, but just in my mind he kinda uh, exemplified that almost kind of professionalness of the pastor. And, and I and again, I'm not I'm not knocking or over characterizing him, but just that sense of kind of driven growth, all of that stuff and kind of that world of the professional.
1: So very you very polished presentation yeah, yeah, style. Yeah.
0: So you have that on one side and I did not relate to that at all. And then one of the other big voices at the time, uh, and this is, again, mind you, 10 years ago, was Mark Driscoll, who at the time was in Seattle. Formerly. Yeah. And I'm sure many of you know that name, but Mark Driscoll's whole persona was very much, uh, I would almost call it prophetic in a sense of like challenging culture challenging the church very very abrasive in many ways uh calling out and and all of that stuff and there's a whole discussion there on the theology that he was working from and all of that and the 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 bigger point is i saw that personality of like here's a guy who's also a pastor who is not necessarily professional growth polish minded but is almost like prophetic calling out labeling naming like that was his whole whole thing and I'm saying I I don't I don't relate to that either like that's just not who I am and so here are the two biggest models of pastor that I'm seeing and I feel like I'm called to be a pastor but I don't feel like either of those two people and so like there's honestly like sometimes I'm like question like should I do I need to be more like this person, or more like this person because these are successful pastors. I am not this. So where, where do I fall into this whole thing? And I, I think probably reading Peterson, starting to read Peterson and reflecting on like the pastoral influence that I've had in my life. So like my dad, um, even Craig McDonald, who was kind of mentored me for many years um, and seeing that, okay, well, here's a third way uh, where you're not the professional you're not the prophet. And for sake of alliteration, it helped me simply to label it as the pastor, even though uh, I was talking to Joe Johnson about this and he mocked that in my pastoral triangle, the third one is called the pastor. But uh, but understanding that, okay, so what if I were to kind of think of the personality of, of all pastors kind of falling somewhere on a, a triangularity, right? Where at the top you have, well, you can pick anyone and put any in direction, but maybe at the top you have pastor, the bottom left, you have the professional and bottom right, you have the prophet. And these are like three major, like driving personality types. And I would think that all of us can kind of find ourselves somewhere in that triangulation right that most of us are not going to fall completely on one Uh, but for me it was helpful to see like okay like i'm gonna naturally be gravitating more to this like pastoral shepherding kind of care thing though i do have a little bit of me that desires to be professional and polished and, and move forward. Uh, I don't really find myself in that prophetic section very often. Just coming to that thought process and kind of working through that and honestly like putting it down on a piece of paper and like looking at it and saying, okay, it's okay for me to be this pastor. This is who I am. This is where I excel. I suppose like, this is where my giftings are going to be used most. This is where I feel the most, in tune with who God created me to be and how I can, can serve the best. It was a very freeing experience, right? Because now I'm not under this burden of, I need to be like this, or I need to be like that, or I'm not good enough. This,
1: I'm not good enough. That I could kind of lean into that. So I was really privileged when you were going through this to be part of that process of you discovering this about yourself and kind of finding that niche of your ministry or the right the right balance of those P's. Just for the benefit of the listeners, I'm wondering how hard, was that difficult for you? Like, what did it take? How how much time did you have to spend sitting back and reflecting on, okay, who am I? What are my gifts? What's God created me to be? And then looking at those other models and doing that triangulation work. Did that, like, come to you in a dream? Did it, (laughs) was it, you know, in the shower at some point? Or did it take extended... Reflection. I guess I don't have like, there wasn't like a light bulb moment. So it
0: must have been just kind of over a period of kind of thinking, probably doing some journaling, reflecting. It it was kind of this natural thing once I allowed myself to be okay with it. You know what I'm saying? So like the, the, the process kind of came naturally once I was open to that process of like thinking through, okay, you don't have to be like these people. Who are you? Suddenly, those other names and those other models kind of just came naturally, and you were able to identify, like, "Oh yeah, that's a pastor who's like that. That's a pastor who's like me. That's a pastor who's like me,"
1: and those kind of doorways began to open. But it's almost like you had to give yourself permission, absolutely, to think outside, yeah, the the boxes even of yeah. those those caricatures the poles, you know, those, even those yeah. individuals who, yeah. who stand for the different polarities yeah. of pastoral ministry. There's another P polarity. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then to find yourself in that and yeah. say, yeah, this, this really is who I am. And this is how I can be most true to not only who God's created me and gifted me to be, but then also the vision for my ministry and the kind of pastor that I want to yeah. be. I think, I'm guessing that many times pastors feel that pressure to be more or to be different than
0: who they are. Yeah. And this has probably always been the case, but so much. So now we're living in the, the culture of loud, right? (laughs) Where the loudest voices are always going to be the most important voices. And the things that were being pushed that are being pushed on us. Those are the ones that always seem to be the most important when really the people who are quite often doing the work of the gospel are the quiet ones that aren't gonna make any headlines and kinda of stepping back from that that noise and that really almost like a consumerism, right? Like these are the things that you should be these are the books you should buy to be this, right? Kind of stepping out of that and simply just saying, All right, like, I don't need to be sold anything. I can just kinda of look around and see what the pastors in my in my community. And I see that actually a lot. And it kind of makes me sad when I see my brethren, small church pastors, who still kind of have this like sense of, I have to be like this. My church has to be like this. My church needs to follow this model and have these small groups and have this sort of influence. And I need to have my sermons being live streamed and all of this stuff. It really does make me sad when I see like, I just want to say like, Hey guys, just be a small church, do your thing, be a, be a pastor to these people. And that's really all that you're called to do, right? That's all that God is expecting of you is to just serve faithfully this community.
1: I'm thinking even of social media and how well-meaning Christians who want to share inspirational content on, on Facebook or wherever, They'll repost, you know, the one or two minute or longer clips of the famous pastors, the superstar, the rock star pastors. And it's difficult, I imagine, as a small church pastor to constantly be in competition with the, you know, the retweeted sermon clip of somebody, you know, is successful professional pastor. Yeah, for sure. Here's a, I was just thinking as you were talking, I was thinking of a, a quote from the aforementioned book scattering church and of course he's comparing you know what a post-institutional church to how we normally think of church in in the United States Uh, and this church growth emphasis is kind of uh, front and center kind of in his in his sights Uh, he says we can continue building churches in the image of other modern institutions we can revamp the marketing message update our branding (laughs) play more contemporary music Invest in our own radio stations, provide decent coffee in the foyer, and hand out loyalty cards. That's a super big challenge. I recently saw a, a church that posted like
0: a thing like, hey, come to our church this Sunday, service at 10 a.m., we're starting a new service. You can come casual, like all this stuff, that, right? You can come casually, and then it said... And come early for donuts and bagels and coffee. And with, again, like parentheses, it says, with real creamer. Like, that was, like, their selling point of why you should come to their church. Because they had real creamer. <laughs> what is real creamer?
1: Is it not it's the pump? A, I think
0: it's as opposed to
1: the powder creamer. Okay, not the powder. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. we have both options available at GVF. You Do people prefer the powder? I'm not a creamer man, so I don't. Yeah. Some, some people. Anyways, back to you. That is another whole episode of <laughs> coffee at church. He goes on to say, uh, with the right mixture of professionalism and a strategic emphasis on efficiency, these initiatives might even result in growing numbers of people who hear the message and give passing allegiance to that organization or to its charismatic leader. Hmm. And I think that that's the pressure of the church as institution and the pastor as professional, successful, whether prophetic or professional leader of that institution. That still is coming from culture and not necessarily from um or some you know negative streams of culture not necessarily from that biblical shepherding mindset yeah or something that is more holistic that that has to do with caring for your congregation nurturing them guarding them gently um understanding their needs deeply yeah and one doing that in a way that is sustainable and, and healthy for the pastor as a person. I wonder how much of that comes down to like
0: us learning to be satisfied with our congregation. You know, like I, Peterson always says the grass isn't always greener in the next parish or, the, you know, but that same thing of like how much of these, these problems are solved when we just learn to be okay with like, all right, this is this is my church. These are my people. They're all messed up. I'm all messed up. And, and it's okay. Rather than kind of this constant draw or desire to be the next thing or whatever.
1: What about when the congregation has these expectations <laughs> of you yeah. as a pastor to be this one thing as other things? So I remember a, a month or two ago, we were talking about this sermon that you had that sort of veered into the prophetic and and no one was quite ready for that, but that got a good reaction or at least a a positive reaction for the most part and was healthful for your congregation. So sometimes it's good to go outside of maybe where you feel most comfortable. Yeah. But I think doing that, Not with
0: any sort of, like, I didn't have a motive. wasn't premeditated. Yeah, it's kind of just like following the call of the Spirit. And and that, maybe coming back to to how you started this, talking about that interplay between digging into who God has created us to be and also constantly trying to become more sanctified, more like Christ, right? And as you bring those two things together, you open space for you to be the most Christ-like version of who you are, right? And that sometimes means being open to stepping outside of of those things, but you know when to do that because you just know when to do that, you know, because of that sanctification that's taking place.
1: Yeah, so that is that is like a a holy knowledge of yeah, of self-awareness, but it's not it's not meant to be like a new agey or a self-help kind of self-awareness. It's rather as you put it, understanding who we're created to be in yeah. Christ. And it's hard to say like the, what would Jesus do? <laughs> because we're, we're not yeah. him. You know, we're not a first century yeah. Galilean Jew in our 21st century culture. Right. But it's more like if Jesus were me with my gifts, my personality, mm. my calling, my personal history, my congregation, what would then he do in this situation so WWJDITS there was a lot of acronyms <laughs> you would have to get make that really extended um, you have to wear like a it's not a bracelet anymore <laughs> it's a necklace it's a charm bracelet <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is every acknowledging that every pastor is unique yeah. with, a, with their own personality with their own background and experiences and preferences and and prejudices and failings. And we all bring that uniquely to a unique context. There's no way to get from a book or from a manual. This is how you should then be in that context. There's only pursuit of Christ and understanding who he has made us to be. And then living that out faithfully as ourselves. Yeah.
0: Well, and so that even comes into preaching. Uh, one of, Probably a pretty influential line I came across in Bart's Homiletics, which was a a big book for me, was when he's talking about the call of the preacher. And he says, and we've probably talked about this in a podcast before, so stop stop me out there in listener land if you've heard this. Stop, Jim, you've said it before! (laughs) But he says something along the lines of, you have been called to be a preacher as you, as the person that you are. You're not simply to be a box that says... The word of God, but the word of God is working through you in like that experience and that event of you personally, who you are, God is who your congregation is, right? That is all part of the, the revelation that takes place when we encounter the word of God. And so that, that whole thing of not only in pastoring, but even in, in preaching, like you are an important part of the equation, like you specifically, personally, who you are whether you're the professional or the prophet or the the,
1: the pastor, shepherd. And I think that adds importance to and and strengthens that idea of the weekly gathering because that moment, whether it's 20 minutes or 35 minutes or 45 minutes, that moment of the congregation gathering around the word of God as it's preached, as it's proclaimed, as we open up the scriptures and, and everyone's there to hear from God. But that but that moment is curated by the pastor Hmm. in the sermon. Hmm. And I like that term. It's, it's so dangerous at that point to preach somebody else's sermon yeah, or to borrow from super pastor, uh, something that you heard that was really good and simply redo that. Yeah. Or, um, We've talked about this before, like to rehash something, like mm-hmm. use a sermon that you've used mm-hmm. in the past, like mm-hmm. especially the type of work that I do in pulpit supply it's it's really dangerous to say, "Oh, I could just use this sermon yeah. that I've given you know six or seven times, and I know it's good, yeah. but it has nothing to do with where you are in that moment. has yep. nothing to do where with where those people are in that moment. And so it can be adequate. Mm-hmm. God can use it, mm-hmm. but it it doesn't. It doesn't. It contribute may not be a sermon. <laughs> to, well, maybe not. Yeah. It might be a talk, yeah, exactly. right, or a speech, exactly. or a lecture. Yeah. Um, instead, every sermon, I think you would agree, should be fresh, yeah. a fresh expression of the Holy Spirit's work in the pastor, so that that experience of hearing scripture read and proclaimed can be fresh in the life of the people who hear it. So here's something
0: interesting. We've talked a lot and probably on the podcast that as I preach, I work through the lectionary readings for the first half of the year. And specifically, I do the gospels for usually at least from like the end of the Christmas season through early spring. This year, I'm going all the way through till Easter with the gospel. So I started doing this three years ago. This is my fourth year doing this. The lectionary is a three-year cycle. So this is the first time where I'm now repeating the same readings and, and teachings that I did three years ago. And as I was prepping this, this week or last week, really, I I kind of had that like, did I have I preached this before? And I went back and I looked in my 2017 notebook and there they were all of, all of these same texts. Now, Goldman, you don't have to work at all now. <laughs> What's interesting though, is the sermon I preached this week, which was on, uh, Jesus calling John's disciples, right? As he walked past and they say, where are you going? Or what do you, what do you seek? That whole thing. I preached that same sermon three weeks Three, three years ago but it was not the same sermon right I preached the same text but where I'm at where my congregation's at how the Holy Spirit moved in my prep like without even specifically sitting down and saying okay I got to preach something different than I did three years ago there was just this natural kind of movement towards a, a fresh expression of what that particular text says and as I move through, I'll probably keep my 2017 notebook handy just to make sure that I'm not. But but maybe sometimes the sermon will be the same, but it won't be the same, right? Right? It will be the same in that maybe there's the same kind of general flow and direction. But this is a different place at a different time. I'm a different person now than I was three years ago. My congregation is different than we were three years ago, yet we're the same. And that's kind of that, like, I think that's the beauty of, of the lectionary, too, is it's this affirmation that God's word is always simultaneously consistent and fresh, right? That it never changes and it always changes. It 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 never uh, the the words are always the same, but the way that the Holy Spirit moves in and through the text of Scripture is always going to be new, if we are open to it, you know, and if we allow that to to, to be
1: to be part of it. Was it jarring to look at those notes and then to think, "Wow, I can't. This is not who we are now. Like <laughs> I could not do this. Like even if you wanted yeah. to just pick that sermon up out of 2017 and bring it into the present, I imagine it would feel so anachronistic. It would and feel weird. Yeah, yeah it would feel weird. The jokes might not be as funny. So there's a recognition that you're. Your personality is unique to you. That's going to create a unique ministry flavor. Yeah. Your congregation is unique. Yeah. We have to resist those pressures culturally and internally to be purely professional yeah. and institutional. And, and Unless add. that's who you are business mindset, but I think what you were getting at is that there's this triangulation that happens. And so, yes, we do need some of our pastors to be more toward that professional or institutional Mm -hmm. end of the spectrum, which is often expected by Mm -hmm. various constituencies. And then we we also move toward that shepherding mindset, Mm -hmm. the pastor portion (laughs) of the pastor (laughs) diagram. And then... There's also the prophetic and recognizing that all of us, although we have a niche in that with our uniqueness as, as ministers and as the uniqueness of our congregation demands, but we have to have that flexibility to go in those different directions for a season when it's needed and an awareness that we can always come back to our strength. Yeah. There's always home, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's kind of a nice little segue, right? On the road, but always coming back home.
1: Well, for Augustine, home was eventually eternal life with God in heaven, but Fair. he did finally settle into a, <laughs> a lengthy ministry uh, where he was the... Were from Carthage? From Carthage, but he became Bishop of Hippo, and so he uh-huh. spent the second half of his life as a bishop, and... Uh, one of the coolest things about his role is that he wrote all of these letters. Hmm. So some people are familiar with Augustine's Confessions and uh, the City of God confessions. I mean everyone should read yeah, you know, at least the first nine books of confessions. But <laughs> the books are small, right? Chapters. They're okay. like chapters. <laughs> yeah, they're they're more like extended chapters of his biography and his Episode conversion. Nine. But the but he wrote all these letters yeah. and so pastors would write to augustine hmm. who is their bishop he's like the deaready
0: of the third century yeah
1: sort of like um hey augustine we um we're all christians here but uh, there's actually raiding tribes of barbarians that are burning people's farms and you know like looting and pillaging yeah. what should we do and so he'll he'll answer the question from a pastoral perspective yeah. to you know, those those kind of parish priests of the fifth century who are on the you know, on the frontier land yeah. of the time, how should we respond to actual like burning and pillaging of our villages? Good pastoral good pastoral <laughs> advice. There's an episode there. For sure. We'll have to our have, interview we'll have to have him on the podcast <laughs> have have on the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh we'll sign off now. Yeah, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.